This episode was originally a live stream on YouTube. You can find out about all my content and how to follow and support me at erichunley.com. I hope to hear from you. And now, on with the show. My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. And we are live for the, what would you call the first? Is it inaugural episode, first episode, premiere episode? What's a good term? Episode one. Episode one? Yeah, I just think we should number them all and just call it episode one, this one. Really? Okay. I didn't want to do the numbering because I want people to find it and to just be able oh. to dive in at any point and go in any order since each one's going to be complete. Okay. In of itself. But this is the first one, America's Untold Stories. Everyone, welcome. I'm with the legendary Mark Grobert, and we're trying something different. It might be audacious to call it, but we're kind of trying to do a live stream documentary series. And I don't know if that's been done before, and we're going to learn as we go, and I think it'll be fun. How are you doing today, Mark? Good, 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 Eric, good. To uh, paraphrase Robert Barnes. (laughs) Good, good. Good, good. (laughs) Well, and I'll paraphrase him too. Everybody, feel free, definitely check me out on unstructured.locals.com. And there you can put in suggestions and vote on subjects. This subject actually was picked from a vote from the local subscribers who chose this by a long shot. I mean, everybody was ready for uh, CIA in Hollywood. So I'm excited about it. And we've decided this is actually going to be one of three episodes dealing with the CIA. Right. So to whet everybody's appetite, today is CIA in Hollywood, but we also have CIA in news and then CIA children. Right. Well, they're all in the media, Eric. So let's let's couch that. These are, it's just not the CIA running loose through Europe. We're talking about CIA and media. We're dividing that up into three parts, right? So we're going to divide it up into the children of intelligence, CIA and news, CIA and Hollywood, and specifically movies and TV, let's say. Okay. Well, the children go a little beyond it if you include presidents. Right. The children, <laughs> the children, the children cover a lot of terrain, but also the right. children have... Uh, Mostly the children are put into media by their pappies and mammies to uh, do their bidding. But not all of them are in media. Some of them are in politics. You know, some of them are in publishing, uh, which is still media. But, you know. Right. And and that's it. They're they're helping shape the world. So that's why each one of these is kind of how the CIA is influencing everything around us or what we see here. Right. Even today. I mean, um, we don't know what they're doing today. We may find out in 20 years what they were doing, you know, because, it, like I said, if we start with the CIA in 1949, the beginning, we really don't have to go before that. And we really don't have to get into the Pentagon dealing with films. The Pentagon, just to briefly for your audience, so we don't confuse people, the Pentagon also vets Hollywood scripts and denies illegally, illegally, and unconstitutionally, because the Supreme Court has ruled on this on First Amendment grounds, that you cannot deny or alter or change the work of the artist to get U.S. taxpayers paid armaments to be in your film. That 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 is illegal, what they've been doing since the 1950s and 60s and even up to the, today. Just to give you a little background on it, Oliver Stone made the movie Salvador, 
And when he requested armaments from his own government as a Purple Heart winner and as a Vietnam vet, they denied him the use of taxpayers' armaments to use for his film because they didn't like the script. So he had to use money out of the film budget to rent the military hardware in the movie Salvador from the nation of El Salvador and Costa Rica. He had to pay out of pocket for that. When other filmmakers who toe the line through scripts are given essentially in-kind monetary donations to their films with taxpayers' money, because that hardware, whether it's a battleship or a Top Gun F-111 fighter jet, it is our hardware. It's the taxpayers' hardware, not the military's, not the Pentagon. It's ours. And they are deciding, based on a screenplay, who will get to use a jet fighter, a military destroyer, a ship, a tank, soldiers, anything. And a lot of the films that they don't like, they deny access to those armaments, and people have to then take their precious monetary budgets and spend them renting the equipment from prop houses or other nations, in the case of Oliver Stone's movie Salvador. Had, has this been successfully um, taken to court, and, yes. and have they been forced? But have yeah. they been forced to provide on any no, movie? They just refuse. They just refuse. Okay, and I can think of a hundred ways they could just say, "Sorry, we don't have the resources." Sorry, well, don't have have that. that would be one thing, but they don't say that because they give it to other productions. Mm. It's not even yeah. a question. It's it's quite brazen. They and the, and the courts have ruled against them, and they just say, "Go fuck yourselves." <laughs> well, I mean, I don't they, know how they use the Andrew Jackson approach uh, yeah. to the courts. When they run said, out with a sword with their with their boots on, and they just say, "Go fuck yourself." All that, or he says, jump on a horse and they ride off. Great, great law. Now, who's going to enforce it for you? Exactly, because they've got all the weaponry. The Supreme Court holds no weapons, from what I understand. The CIA turned yeah. themselves into a a military force unknowingly to apparently even the Kennedy brothers, who, when you go back to 1961, when Bobby Kennedy explains to his brother that they've now become a military force, and JFK says to Bobby, how the hell did they get weapons? There's nothing in their constitutional bylaws to give them weaponry. They just took up weapons and started fighting militarily. And one of the reasons that JFK wanted to get rid of them was because of their access to weapons. And that's why he wanted the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, that he started to replace the CIA in 1963. The DIA was chosen and created by JFK for military reasons because the CIA was illegally and unknowingly using uh, weapons on their own in fighting combat missions, whatever the hell they were doing. They just took up weapons one day. Interesting. So now, really quickly, to get back into the Hollywood track, one interesting thing about the CIA relationship is they don't have the power and strength of the Pentagon to say, oh, you really want that jet? Well, you know, they have to, I hate to say they have to be like operatives and use more clandestine means and and manipulation in the much the same way as our mission now to overturn governments, to infiltrate, to do things like that. So I find that kind of kind of charming and twisted in its own way well their their job is about the message the pentagon's the pentagon has a different idea of what they're going to do for the cia they don't they can't threat or you know threaten or cajole so for instance in 1950 paramount had a cia agent buried a mole inside of paramount pictures and he was influencing and deleting scenes from scripts and wrote a series of letters that are available 
that were in the archives of Paramount recently discovered by Trisha Jenkins in her book, uh, CIA oh, yeah. Hollywood. She mentions those letters. And in those letters, he writes about the scenes that he got deleted from scripts, like a Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis movie, a comedy called Money from Home. He deletes a scene where they're comically manhandling a Muslim woman in a, in a scene in a marketplace. And that was, again, for international reasons that they did this for international affairs. And, yeah. uh, you know, just to backtrack, it starts with the Cold War. All of this for the CIA and films is about the Cold War. So to mm -hmm. just go one step before that, it starts with avant-garde art. The CIA begins to fund abstract expressionist art and art gallery shows of people like Jackson Pollock and the MoMA Museum and the Whitney Museum because abstract art becomes an American phenomenon that the Soviets do not have and allow. They look at it as mm -hmm. Western degenerate art. So what the CIA does is begin to pay for art gallery shows in Europe and in the United States and begins to fund abstract American expressionism. Put it that way. They then begin to fund the, the Paris Review. They begin to fund George Plimpton in Europe and the Paris Review gets money secretly from the CIA to write up reviews of art. And all, all of the CIA money goes in through the art door in a cultural war with the Soviets. That's where they begin to get in before they get to films, Eric. They begin with paintings and art, and that's visual expression, but it's the first time they do it. They then fund the Boston Symphony Orchestra to go to Europe. They, they draw the line at ballet, figuring they'll kill us in ballet if we go to Russia with our ballet. There's, there's inter-office memos. No, no, there's inter-office memos between Wisner and Dulles and, and others about what they're going to do. T.S. Eliot becomes friends uh, with Angleton. He's writing to him. Um, in fact, um, Allen Ginsberg writes an entire sketch about Angleton's relation to T.S. Eliot, how they're both many fascists, you know, trying to control poetry. The famous beat poet Allen Ginsberg uh, writes an entire sketch about the relationship between Angleton and, and T.S. Eliot, the British poet who, uh, big anti-Semite and, uh, you know, Ginsberg calls him a fascist, but that's let, yet to be seen, but... The, the reality of it is they come in through the back door of the art world is what I'm getting at. And that's how they get to film. They, they take this book by George Orwell called Animal Farm and the, using the British, two animators in England, they purchase the art, the book, through a dummy company called Touchstone which is important because Touchstone will later come into play as a sub Disney. right. And Disney is involved throughout the history of the CIA and throughout this period doing these things. This is not the same Touchstone yet, but the dummy co corporation is called Touchstone. They buy the rights to the book from uh, Orwell's widow, George Orwell's widow. And with those rights to the book, they hire the two top animators in England. They want to keep it away from America so nobody could see that we're doing it, but we're doing it. And the project takes 18 months. It's one of the longest film animation projects in history. It's hand-painted, hand-designed. It it's the equivalent of a $5 million project today. It costs $500,000 in those days. Uh, it's probably five to seven million in today's money. The cost of the of the uh, animated uh, cartoon. It's actually very good too. 
Absolutely, well. absolutely. And and they wanted that to be a anti-Stalinist uh, document, you know, and, and go after him with that, which was the first time they're ever involved in film. Now, they fund the entire thing. They fund the entire operation from soup to nuts, and they get a lot of mileage out of that, but they quickly realize that they can't be in this business. It's too expensive. They can't. After, after the Animal Farm uh, animation, they never fund an entire movie again. They realize this is too expensive. They need to simply get messages in and control individual messages and scenes as a also, way. Wouldn't it be a case, too, that um, too many fingerprints on it, kind of like when they help you know, get the shot taken out or, or implant, you know, installed, what was it? Uh, Kermit, uh, Roosevelt was involved with that and carrying the money and they directly did it versus doing a black lot job. Right. But it, it also, it's just too damn expensive. Keep in mind, this is an animation they create from scratch. They option the book. The idea that they can create whole Hollywood films from scratch is insane. I mean, the, okay. Right. I mean, how do you explain where the money came from? So they begin to use Paramount and Universal as conduits. Like I said to you a couple of weeks ago, for instance, just recently, a couple of years ago, uh, Universal and Paramount are the two studios more closely linked to the intelligence world. And uh, Universal contacted Alex Gibney and said, would you like to do a hatchet job on Julian Assange for two million dollars? And Alex Gibney quickly signed the papers to make that film about Ale uh, about uh, Julian Assange. And it wasn't Universal's $2 million. This is, this is money that's being funneled through the intelligence services. So, I mean, when you look at Assange, you know, you look at, you look at uh, Alex Gibney, like I discussed, his father was Frank Gibney. His father was a CIA media asset, talking to what you're uh, mentioning before the show, Operation Mockingbird. His father, Frank Gibney, was an editor at uh, the New York Times as well as Newsweek. And famously writes a letter to Alan Dulles saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't do your bidding as a journalist. I don't think this is proper. Tries to resign and uh, letters go back and forth uh, between Gibney and, and Dulles, uh, him trying to get out of his job at Newsweek, uh, being a media CIA asset. Um, like I said to you, the families tend to stick together. CIA likes to use families for legacy reasons, for trust reasons, for honesty reasons, you know, and vouching reasons. So, Frank begat, uh, I think his brother also, uh, Alex's brother is also um, uh, CIA operative. So interesting. But getting back to getting back to uh, Animal Farm, after Animal Farm, they begin to, to believe that they could simply plant messages into the movies themselves. And you say, well, what kind of messages do they plant? A lot of them are, like I said, like the Jerry Lewis thing, where they involve international relations, that they don't want to go bad. However... They also, uh, like a movie like The Caddy, another Jerry Lewis movie, they have an entire program of planting clean-looking Negroes, quote-unquote, throughout the movies, and even in golf tournaments, places where they are not in American society, to offset the Soviet documentaries about the bad treatment of blacks under civil rights laws in the South. The, the Soviet Union is making documentary after documentary depicting, truthfully so, what's going mm -hmm. on in the southern regions of the United States and treatments of African-Americans. The CIA counters by putting clean-looking African-Americans in movies and scenarios where they would never be in a million years. 
such as tennis matches, golf tournaments. They give and they there's memos to give them the best cars in a movie, so they so their lifestyle looks upscale. Uh, it's fascinating how far they went with this thing to offset the Soviets depicting truthfully what was going on here. So they're creating a completely non-existent world for African-Americans that does not yet exist. And this comes back around in the 90s where they begin to make in TV and movies, every chief of police, an African-American, the president of the United States becomes an African-American way before Obama. Morgan Freeman is president. Judges. <laughs> Morgan, it seems right? like judges are all female African-Americans. Right. This is not, the most popular. Right. <laughs> this is not by accident. This is not by accident. This is social engineering by the intelligence uh, community that they feel this is the way we want to portray the nation. And I don't go. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, wasn't some of this, though, because they um, <clears throat> were getting a black eye from movies like uh, right. well, me, we'll get to in the second, 70s? Because, right. Just to back up for a second, you they form a group. There's a group that's one called Militant Liberty in 1954, and it's a propaganda campaign by the CIA to to bring in Hollywood bigwigs into the loop, such as John Ford, John Wayne, Cecil B. DeMille. This is the first group of Hollywood big bigwigs that are brought under the umbrella to make propaganda in American films. And it's called Militant Liberty. Um, Ford, Wayne, DeMille, C.D. Jackson at Life Magazine was running this thing. And they begin to make, um, you know, more, you know, jingoistic propaganda films. I mean, later on, uh, he'll write a letter to LBJ John Wayne in 1968 and say, we have to combat these kids in the street. I want to make a film with your approval called The Green Berets. And that letter was sent to LBJ by John Wayne to get access to The Green Berets so he could make a movie, uh, another propaganda movie, like they had done 10 to 15 years before that. In 68, Wayne's like at the end of his career almost, you know. But yet sees the need to write to LBJ to make a movie, get access to the Green Berets, which becomes the movie, The Green Berets. Ironically, I don't think he served either. I don't. Th <laughs> oh, yeah. It's hard. Weird. It's weird because I see him in uniform in my mind. So I don't know. Right. But Marion, um, uh, Mar I don't know if it was Marion Wayne. I think it was Marion something or another, but <laughs> I don't think he actually served. I think he uh, had an injury or something. There's a great scene in the Philippines uh, when Oswald was sent to the Philippines, Lee Harvey Oswald was sent to the Philippines as part of his Marine uh, training. And guess who shows up at the base? John Wayne. And there's a picture of Oswald with John Wayne in the background, which I have visiting. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Was this when you were doing the um, series with Oliver? Yeah, yeah. I found this great photo of, of, um, of Oswald with John Wayne right in back of him. Wow. Kind of interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so they form this group and and they begin to uh, make films which have a certain amount of propaganda in it. But as you know, there's a church committee, there's the assassinations of Castro attempts, there's assassination attempts on Lumumba, there's the, the killing of the DM brothers in 1963 in, in Vietnam on orders of the CIA against JFK's um, insistence. And, you know, they they now have to be put into a bad light by the people that are coming to power who were the kids from the college age in the 70s leads to the Frank Church Committee. But just to, uh, to, to digress a second, they are, you know, doing these things politically and the Cold War is still going on for them. So they don't see a need to stop what they're doing, the CIA. 
You know, these, these films that have uh, certain messages in them are now not controlled by them any longer. They do not control Dennis Hopper. They do not control Easy Rider. They do. Not, what's happening is the collapse of the studio system in the late 60s. That throws a monkey wrench into their operations because the studio system is so old and, and heavy that the independent films start become, you know, making money and, and Easy Rider and these you know, radical filmmakers, you know, from from the parallax view to, you know, going up to uh, all the president's men and, you know, all of these films leads to the church committee. What's that? Manchurian Candidate. Manchurian Candidate and the one you just showed, Three Days of the Condor, getting back to that poster. Yeah. And, and, and the vibe in Condor is of rogue CIA operatives, right? I mean, what is Robert Redford? He, there he is with, with the wonderful Faye Dunaway, the love of my life. <laughs> and um, yeah. God, I love her. And Max Donsido and Cliff Robertson and, and, and his code name is Condor. Now, what is Condor's crime? He doesn't do anything. He reads books. He's an intelligence operative who reads books and they, they, you know, there's a rogue CIA operation and they've got to bring him in and execute him. So, but this is the climate of the times, which leads to 1996 or the early nineties when they begin to say to themselves, we have to get back in the business of Hollywood. This, the eighties and nineties are a rough period for them. They begin to get back into the game in the nineties, which shows like 24 and alias and and son of all fears and the recruit and you know the, these these situations in 1996 they hire a guy named Chase Brandon. Now Chase Brandon is a wannabe screenwriter who becomes the first official Hollywood liaison to the CIA. Quite secretly, he doesn't hang out a banner, but lets it be known that he's available for consultation. There he is. So Chase Brandon is a wannabe writer and later becomes, after his career's over, becomes a novelist and, and oddly enough, currently involved in UFO uh, sightings. These two, <laughs> these two guys, right. Okay, so Chase Brandon, oddly enough, becomes the liaison for Hollywood to meet with, and he is the gatekeeper for these movies. Now, these movies don't exist, so he has to spur this on. He becomes uh, so embedded in the Hollywood community that he turns up at Oscar parties and, you know, fancies himself to be a, a American James Bond, um, you know, trying to control the access to the CIA, which leads to, you know, what we were talking about earlier about the recruit and, and the movie that I worked on uh, that I created called The Farm and the situation. Right. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, right? Yeah, we're heading, we're heading toward that. We're looking at the um, different films on the way. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, this is some of all fears. The Tom Clancy. Yeah, yeah. This becomes an era of these films almost. There's. there's... Wasn't this also done because the Cold War technically had ended? Yes. And they had to justify their existence. Like you know, why are you going? We don't need the CIA, right? You know. KGB, they're done. Soviet okay, Union's so done. You've got, you've got the collapse of the Soviet Union and this gap of the collapse of the Soviet Union and 9-11. And in that world, the CIA is meaningless because you don't have 9-11 yet and the Cold War is over. In that window is where they're at their weakest moment. And um, after 9-11, they are accused of being asleep at the switch, as you remember, Eric. 
a bunch of old sure. fight, fat white men who didn't hear this coming. It was the phrase, you know, so they had yeah. to redeem themselves by starting to get inv involved in these films that would put out a better message for them. That's really what happens in the early mid nineties. They begin to fight back. And yeah, Clancy, from what I understand, was definitely um, kind of a a big part of it. It's also interesting that Ben Affleck seems to be kind of tied to it. As well, we there's on. a bunch of these guys who were CIA uh, helped. You know, uh, Tom Hanks was one. They help your career, and then you help them later. Um, not sure about Ben Stiller, <laughs> but it could be. Who knows? Tom Hanks is well, one. De Niro. Uh, probably, probably, but Matt Damon is definitely one. Will Smith. I mean, these are three names that are uh, whispered around Hollywood for years of guys who were plucked out of obscurity by the CIA and given major careers if they did their bidding. I mean, if you look at how many CIA related films that Matt, Matt Damon has done, who says, you know, Howard Zinn was his mentor and teacher and, and, you know, he's supposedly this, this, you know, uh, um, political person. I mean, he's done so many CIA-themed movies, you know, as has Soderbergh and the the screenwriter I was telling you about that did uh, Contagion, Scott Z. Burns, uh, the, the Contagion movie, yeah, shown there. I mean, this is written, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like a documentary of what we just went through. I mean, this this is Burns, right? Yeah, yeah. Burns, this is Scott Burns? Yeah. Yeah. The Scott Barnes says he hooked up with a guy named Ian Lipkin, a scientist at Columbia University who took him under his wing. There's Lipkin getting the award by the Chinese government. January 20th, 2020, he gets the award from the Chinese military as their favorite scientist of the year. And he's over there, comes back. Ostensibly, he could have been patient zero for all we know, because he goes on Fox and they said, where did you get COVID? He said, I have no idea. And they said, where are you coming from? And he said, China. This is like January of 2020. So he gets this incredible award and says the Chinese or the Communist Party are his best friends. They're helping save the world. Here he is again. He goes to the Chinese embassy. I mean, this guy's at Columbia University right now. And he hooks up with Scott Burns to create contagion years before we get the pandemic that we have now. And it's ostensibly so close to what happened that the movie was the most watched movie during this past pandemic. People were astonished. I had to go back and look at it because I didn't see it till it, you know, since it had come out. And it's almost like a documentary of the current pandemic. And it's not an accident. This is not like, you know, Scott Burns is an incredible, uh, uh, you know, free thinker who came up with this idea. No, 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 no. He worked with this guy, Lipkin, Dr. Ian Lipkin, who told him this is what's going to happen step by step by step by step. And, and now, you know, he gets the greatest scientist of the year award from the Chinese military. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to connect all these dots and, um, Somebody's going to have some explaining to do. Yeah, no, somebody in the chat brought this up, and I know we had it on our list too. Our Another name. famous one. I know we skipped ahead, but we're yeah. you know, kind of coming to sure. modern day, and we'll okay. step back in time and talk about the recruit and spend some time on that. Um, Argo is fascinating because that one is full on CIA. It was written, the book full was on. written by a CIA operative who was yeah. the disguise 
yep. head of disguise who who was uh, he replaced the previous head of disguise if i recall who happened to be a president of the united states george hw bush right, now keep in mind the entire story is made up to not <laughs> the entire story which is true happened to be done by the canadians and not us so that slight change of nation states Apparently, it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> it was a Canadian operation and not an American operation. Other than that, the story is basically true. You know, they're too polite, right? They, they were too polite to say anything. Apparently, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, if it's a good operation, you don't want to say anything, right? You right. Be like, I mean, it, you know, hey. that and Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty, which is the next film that uh, the CIA have their fingerprints in. That becomes a cause celeb in the reverse way because they are so deeply penetrated. Uh, uh, Bowl and um, the director, Mark Bowl, the screenwriter. Excuse me? Bigelow. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. So deeply embedded in the CIA that actual congressional hearings occur afterwards to find out if laws were violated. Um, They switch back to the CIA to punish themselves and nothing happens. I mean, it's just a ridiculous. They're being brought into the CIA for metal services and, and there's exchanges of gifts by Hollywood and the CIA going back and forth. Um, you know, and then there's torture involved. They don't like to have torture. That's a bad thing. <laughs> so it, it, it almost, almost went too far. They began to reel it back a little bit after Zero Dark Thirty, which was supposed to win about 10 Academy Awards, but only won one Academy Award for sound editing, I believe, uh, because of the scandal. That's an interesting um, situation. Yeah, from what I understand, they were accused, or Bigelow was accused of trying to um, lessen the sting of torture or make it right. torture was okay because right. it led into this. So, you know, right. they, they were doing it to give cover. And then I also th- remember there was kind of some controversy with, um, Oh God, the uh, author of, uh, American psycho, Brett Easton Ellis. Hmm. That I don't recall. Um, well he went off and talked about how he didn't think, um, Kathleen uh, or Catherine Bigelow was that talented of a director. And he got into all kinds of misogynistic hot waters. So I don't, I don't know if that was related or not. Right. I don't know about that. But the point of the matter is that these CIA films begin to start popping up after nine 11 and um, to justify their existence because of the complete collapse in that, uh, uh, you know, sleep at the switch event of nine 11. This is one though, that I think is fascinating. Yeah. Whereas television and it's top chef. I mean, yeah, yeah. Ah. okay. I, okay. Um, intelligence style movie helps with the recruiting, you know, things like that. Oh, look how important we are image building, but top chef, what the hell? They don't care. They go into every single thing. What's his name? The head of the CIA um, at the time with the glasses and the, uh, with a P in his name, not Pompeo. Panetta. Leon Panetta. Right. Panetta has this, he's in the show. There he is. He's the head of the CIA. He said the goddamn reality show. I mean, this is going too far. You know, I mean, they they yeah. try to expand into reality shows on TV uh, with this one, and I think they realize themselves that they had gone too far. It's yeah. Again, do you know anything beyond that? Like why or what happened, or is just just they did it? 
They just did it. Again, they want to penetrate. Like I said to you, if you look at Nat Geo, the National Geographic Channel, Nat Geo was one of the leading publications that was filled with uh, uh, spooks in the 1940s and 50s because they were allowed to penetrate behind nation states with cameras on these nature adventures. So Nat Nat Geo, what's that? That makes that makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, no, they were able to go into different countries with cameras. And National Geographic now has a TV station called Nat Geo, and it's equally as penetrated by the CIA. The, there's a guy named Cassio there, Michael Cassio, whose parents were CIA, and he's an executive producer at Nat Geo, usually dealing with any JFK assassination uh, documentary that Nat Geo ever runs. Mike, Mike, Michael Cassio will be the executive producer on those. They tightly control these messages and have their own people buried inside of these TV networks, uh, National Geographic in particular. Isn't it, doesn't that kind of make sense though? Because I mean, like not everything is necessarily evil per se. Um, the CIA, for example, did the world Factbook. Right. The CIA has a, a ground presence on every, in every country in the world from what I understand, and they do collect, you know, what kind of people live there, what kind of this oh, yeah. live there, things oh, like yeah. that. So yep. there, there's some legitimate things. Right. Well, they've been, replaced, they've been replaced by Wikipedia. So <laughs> I don't know if they have <laughs> to burrow into a, a society, you know, and, and to get these facts, because we now have a intelligence controlled Wikipedia world where the same intelligence community essentially runs Wikipedia. They lock people out, they edit, they do what they want. There was once a debate on Wikipedia about uh, uh, Oswald's rifle uh, being in the Smithsonian, and a lot of experts on Oswald quickly realized that that was not his rifle that was in the Smithsonian. It was too long, it was the wrong size, and it was a phony rifle. So the debate went back and forth until Wikipedia locked everyone out and froze the debate, uh, saying nobody could comment anymore. These experts who knew the rifle were clearly, there's a photo of it on the Wikipedia page if you look at Oswald's rifle. And they were citing all the different reasons. It's not the rifle, whatever their reasons are. So when you look down at the longitude and latitude of the last edit, if you look down at the longitude and latitude of the last edit, that will lead you directly to Langley, my friend. <laughs> that is how we discovered that Langley is running Wikipedia. Oh, I love it. A little inside tip there, brother. Uh, hey, I totally believe it. Now, we're going to do one more, and then I'm going to start jumping around here. Okay. Um, Chase Brandon. Left in 2007, he was replaced by this guy, I believe you said, temporarily. Right. Well, it's funny because somebody just filed a Freedom of Information Act request to find out everything about this guy who is known as Paul Barry. And uh, I just read the letter. The, the, oh, Rich Klein is Paul Barry? I'm confused. I don't know who this is, but Paul Barry is the guy who is the liaison today, unless he's gone also. Is this the newer guy? Well, is this, this is the guy that you were saying um, – that you were saying the CIA hired, he's part of like a, a group. Oh, Rich Klein. Yeah, absolutely. That's a separate issue. What, okay, when I was sorry. talking about this, the guy who replaced Chase Brandon is Paul Barry. These guys are brought in as technical consultants on film. Rich Klein is one of them. And they bring in ex-CIA guys to quote unquote consult on films like Parkland by Peter Landsman and, you know, anti-conspiracy movies that they want to put out there to have um, CIA influence. They're literally in, in the credits now. They're in the credits. I mean, if you look at Chase Brandon, Chase Brandon has more credits than I do, which, which is really depressing. <laughs> this guy who's not a guild member has more writing credits than me. But Rich Klein is another one, another technical consultant. Yeah. 
Okay, I've got a question here from the chat that you might be able to address. Um, what about the use of celebrities in clandestine operations? Like well, uh, I mean, the first, one that comes to mind the quickest is Mo Berg, the catcher for the Tigers, who went over to, um, even before the creation of the CIA, was spying on the Japanese during the Japanese-American baseball off-season series that they used to go on every year. Mo Berg uh, was a, I guess, OSS back then, and he had a camera, and he went on the rooftop. He photographed the military installations of the Japanese and was a baseball catcher for the Tigers. Um, wow. First one that comes to mind, I mean. There are others, but that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, um, let's see. I don't want to bury the lead too long here. Um, let's talk about this um, this guy, oh, Mark Robert, who seemed to pick up a gig, according to Variety, in 97. What's up? Well, I didn't pick up the gig, but I wrote a long treatment about a uh, – the farm, which later became, we changed the name to the recruit, but the farm um, is, yes. as many people know, the place in Camp Perry, Virginia, by you in your backyard, yep. Eric, right? Yep. Where they train a CIA. Right. And I, the, the premise of my um, treatment was this uh, teacher-student relationship that goes bad. And the training that I had researched on what they did was to graduate, to graduate from the farm, you had to go on a real mission, quote unquote, where things went haywire. They sent you on a real phony mission and that's your graduation. So it's a phony mission, but everything's treated as real. And here I you got see- a question on that, actually, being from the area, mm -hmm. have you ever heard of the uh, Colonial um, Parkway murders? No, I have not. There's a serial killer- in Virginia, Colonial Parkway kind of ties um, the historic areas of um, traditional Williamsburg and Jamestown and Yorktown, sort of like all going together. And there was a serial killer, and there is some speculation that this serial killer was um, possibly somebody from the farm. Because uh, from what I understand, these guys don't only do their training over there, and this is again all conjecture. What I hear, I can't, you know, confirm everything. But they will have assignments and mix up, you know, hang out in society here. Right. That's the so graduation, like, yeah. You know, go graduation. Tra trace this person, follow that person, yes. stalk yes. that person, yes. um, and then they're monitored. Yes. While they're doing it, to see if they're effectively stalking the person, or they're get, you know, if they're burning their tail, all kinds of stuff. But it's actually literally happening under our nose. That is absolutely in, in the town itself, uh, whatever that surrounding town is around Camp Peary. I forget the name of the town. Um, well, Williamsburg is. Uh, Williamsburg, yes. Yeah. Williamsburg. They use that town all the time. And these things have gone awry over the years. You're correct. I don't know if that serial killer thing is, is correct or not. But the point of the matter is to graduate, you have a mission where they throw everything at you. And uh, that's what the premise of my film was about later cast with Colin Farrell and Al Pacino as the mentor and Farrell uh, as the student who they recruit at a Ivy League university, which is quite typical of how they get these guys. And yeah. that situation, this is 1997. The movie doesn't come out to 2003. And uh, in between there is 9-11, which forced a lot of changes in the movie. But in 1997, that uh, money that I received is option from a company and a guy leaves the company, a guy named Jeff Apple, 
And he goes over to Spyglass and unbeknownst to me, takes the project with him. And he mm. begins to produce the project at Disney, uh, a company called Spyglass, actually a subsidiary. He begins to produce the project and hires a screenwriter to write up the treatment, the concept. Now, here it is on the front page of Variety. So there's not an obscure uh, theory on my part. The, the documentation is quite clear. He hires this guy, Roger Town, who is the failed screenwriter brother of the famous Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown and, a, and an incredible amount of other films. Roger Town, this guy, is a guy who is not uh, very good at what he does. He hires this guy, and it turns out that this guy claims to be the screenwriter on um, the farm. The recruit. So when the movie comes out, we sue them and end up in federal court. We will end up in federal court in a minute in this story. But the lawsuit says that they stole this intellectual property of mine. You can look it up, Grobert versus Spyglass, and and follow the case. But the reality, there it is, Grobert versus Spyglass. Um, they try to dismiss it. That was thrown out. They went as far as to destroy all their computers at one point. They literally took sledgehammers to their computers to, to try to cover their trail that I've never been there, which I thought that was that was a bridge that was very interesting. There it is, Touchdown again. Uh, Touchdown will come back around, like I said, from the beginning of the CIA involvement with Disney. And um, Anyway, so we go to discovery in this case, and my lawyer is a former assistant DA of San Francisco. The other one's a criminal attorney from Miami, and we have a uh, deposition with Roger Town. And the deposition is nine o'clock in the morning here in town, L.A., in Hollywood. And he comes to the deposition smelling of alcohol, and he's ranting and raving in the deposition. Nothing's happened yet. He's just yelling, I'm a thief, I'm, all kinds of things. And me and my lawyer are looking at each other like, this guy's nuts. And he's reeking of booze at nine o'clock in the morning. And his lawyer, uh, you know, we have these faxes in our possession that show his notes going back and forth to Langley, Virginia, to the CIA headquarters. And he explains that Chase Brandon, the same guy you showed before, was a consultant on his script and that he's sending pages every day to Chase Brandon at Langley, Virginia, to have notes and approval notes from Chase Brandon on the script, the pages that he's writing. So I while we Chase talking a little bit about the, uh, excuse me, uh, I actually have Chase talking about the uh, movie for a second. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, he did a lot of press on it. Yeah, you want uh, on that? Yeah. This particular project is really very interesting from the official cooperation standpoint because. We don't confirm or deny that we have a training facility, but it stands to reason that an organization like ours has to do very unique training for very unique operational purposes. And we do, in fact, have a secret training site. We have, in fact, several. Now, so I wanted to... That was, that was good. Chase, Chase Brandon um, is being sent these faxes, or at least we, we believe that's the case. And then my attorney in the deposition looks at the faxes, and it turns out the headers and footers have been reversed. 
It is Chase Brandon who's writing page after page after page from scratch of the script. And that this guy, Roger Town, is merely making tiny notes in the columns. It's the reverse. <laughs> so my script is being written by Chase Brandon in Langley, Virginia. And, you know, this guy all of a sudden starts yelling at us. His attorney and himself leave the room and come back and say we can participate no longer in this deposition because of national security. And we looked, me and my attorney looked at each other and went, this is a civil case about intellectual property. What are you talking about? They refused to cooperate after that. And they, mm. the deposition was shut down and we, we, we had them. We nailed them. This thing was being written by Chase Brandon. This guy was a front, which is what he was. He was a drunken, failed brother of a famous screenwriter who was a front. And we went to federal court. In the federal court, we started to get we, all the documentation together. And it turns out, indeed, the CIA under Chase Brandon was literally producing and writing this script from scratch, which uh, plenty of documentation. If you see in Tricia Jenkins' book, uh, CIA and Hollywood, um, I think right here, if you get this book by Tricia Jenkins, there's an entire chapter in there about my case. And that's because those documents came from me that chapter that's in there about the recruit. So um, the reality of it is we, we, we get a settlement and whatever I received, I received, you know, in terms of monetary compensation. Sure. So You can't talk about that, obviously. I can't talk about that. But the reality of it is this is what goes on. This is the reason I'm able to talk about this intelligently is because I've been involved in this stuff. And as have others here in this business in town who are reluctant to talk about it for whatever reason. So I'm not just theoretically wearing a tinfoil hat. I ended up in federal court on one of these CIA things. You know, they, they actually had an audit that was released as well in 2012. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's redacted like crazy. So, yeah, right. you're definitely not wearing a tinfoil hat. It's right. OK. It's out there. Right. The reality of it is they 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 want to control the message and still be players in this game and and have now have a new batch of kids. They've switched sides. Now it's the left that they're in bed with. The left turned against them in the 70s and 80s. They became, you know, uh, the three days of the Condor people would not cooperate. Now you've got the left cooperating with them. So the sides have switched. They're, you know, the, the, they're now, I believe, going after the Trumpsters and the, 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 the right wing internally. There is no more foreign enemy that they're going after. That's the scary part of, to bring this up to today, Eric. They're now going after American citizens with these movies, with these attacks, with this stuff on TV. And now it's become an internal battle. They're not allowed by their own, their own uh, uh, doctrine to be involved in anything domestic in the United States. You know, not that the FBI needs any help, but the CIA is not allowed to be doing this, whatever they're doing domestically. And they're clearly up to something here domestically with these films, like getting back to contagion. I mean, this thing's got the fingerprints of intelligence all over it, to, you know, to quote uh, uh, a former Pennsylvania Republican senator. Um, I don't know, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg in terms of contagion, but clearly there's a lot of elements that are involved here that if, need to be connected in terms of dots. I don't know how you connect them all, but, you know, there are guys who are probably more uh, closer to the source than I am at this point who can connect these dots better. Isn't it like the perfect situation, though, if you think about it, because the left already dominated Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So now they have almost perfect harmony because well, you've the, already got the, the culture the, of people controlling culture and them. Right. So they're so deeply embedded 
it's not like they they have to be sneaky about it. After 9-11, they put together a group uh, of directors like they did in 1952 with the militant liberty. They put together, after 9-11, they put together a group of screenwriters, directors, and producers, and they took them down to USC, and they funded the operation to come up with scenarios for terrorist attacks and all kinds of different terrorist situations. And I believe out of that school, which is now funded by Jeff Skoll, the owner of Participant Media, the guy who created eBay, he's a Canadian. He's now funded all of these CIA-themed movies out of Participant Media. He funds a USC offshoot involving uh, message movies, climate change movies, anti-Soviet movies, anti-Putin movies. He's got an entire school down there under USC Film School that's involved with the CIA and himself, uh, Jeff Skoll. And he's the producer on the Contagion. On Contagion, by the way, is the reason I mentioned Jeff Skoll. But is if William Shatner involved, uh, William Shatner, who, who killed his wife, yeah, or <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think William's a little too old for that. But the current people are involved. Current players in the game, the Soderberghs, are involved. The real filmmakers today are the Matt Damons, the Soderberghs, the people like Scott. Yeah, Burns. Look at Scott Burns currently just finished a film uh, on CIA torture. You know, I mean, he's he's directing a film on CIA. I mean, all of his stuff that he does, Burns, is re- regarding uh, Central Intelligence Agency. So th- there's now an institute down there under the guidelines of the USC Film School that's being funded by Jeff Skoll to create these movies. Not, not unlike what was done in 1952. The reason I'm not criticizing them for today it's been done since 1949. It's just the sides have switched. Instead of instead of John Wayne, it's Ben Affleck. You know what I mean? Instead of instead of John Ford, instead of John Ford, it's Steven Soderbergh. You know, it makes sense. And now they're in bed with these guys. So uh, it's putting the rest of the country in a really precarious position. Because when John Ford and Cecil B. DeMille and John Huston and these guys did it, it had a meaning in a Cold War to put out pro-American stuff, right? It was pointed out. Now it's pointed in. Now it's pointed in. And that's scary. That's scary. Somebody asked, and it's a good question. Um, let's address Chuck Barris's claims. I don't know anything about that I, other I, than what I, a rumor. Yeah, I don't know. The gong show, who knows? I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, they, 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 they incorporate so many different people into their uh, spider web. Mm. I mean, you know. Crowley, Eleanor Hubbard? Um, not from what I know. I mean, you know, I don't think they were involved. I mean, they don't have anything to offer them. They, In, in other words, you know, a guy like Jim Jones, however, it was, I mean, down in Guyana. I mean, Jim Jones had incredible oh. technicals under the CIA. So I don't know about Crowley and, and, and Hubbard, but it's definitely Jim Jones. I mean, that's been fairly well documented. But getting back to film as opposed to cults, <laughs> cool. Well, you know, it's tied in, and you got right. Tom Cruise film, right. and <laughs> right. Well, again, I, I I don't know if it's someone like you know. I know that Tom Hanks was plucked out of obscurity at the beginning. They they tend to take people who like Will Smith, who come from other operations, and and but sort of Scientology. To be honest with you, I mean, they do the same thing with right. their with their people, but they don't have the internal power to make Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise was Tom Cruise before he went to Scientology. What the CIA is doing is making Tom Cruises from scratch, you know? Yeah. Now 
you said they plucked Will Smith out of something else. What was that other thing again? Well, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He was a rapper before the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I mean, you know, he has no television experience whatsoever. You know, and then he becomes he becomes the greatest actor of science fiction films in the history of American cinema. And now, what are we looking at right now? We're on the brink of a UFO report that's about to come out. Chase Brandon, when he's when he left Hollywood, began to write books on UFOs and saying that the CIA has all these secret files on UFOs. That was 10 years ago. Now we're on the brink of UFO uh, uh, reports coming out. And who is the number one actor in the world when it comes to flying sources and UFOs? Will Smith. So, look, I mean, he could have made any kind of movie, I guess. You know what I mean? I guess maybe he made an Ali movie once, but he's known for incredible, successful science fiction films. Right. And that was Jamie Foxx who did Ali. Right. Okay. What did Will Smith do? Oh, he did Concussion. He did Concussion. That's what it was with the NFL. That was a Peter Landsman film that happened to have um, Cyril Wecht who was the famous guy who re-examined the JFK autopsy. He's in the film playing mm. Cyrilwecht, if you recall, which is kind of hard because Peter Landsman makes Parkland a completely Hallmark Hall of Fame uh, version of the Kennedy assassination at Parkland Hospital with Zac Efron. Oh, with two different CIA consultants working on it, by the way. So is there anybody new or out there right now that would shock us modern i don't know we don't know yet so uh <laughs> we don't know who they are you know i'm you know i assume these guys mark bull if you see a project by him if you see a project by this guy burns you know who who clearly they start working in that genre eric they once they find a place that they like here's a movie okay so now burns has become a director so his first film stars Tim Blake Nelson, Ben McKenzie, and Matthew Reese. Uh, it's called The Torture Report, okay? And it's about the the 500-page report of waterboarding that came out after 9-11. And that's what the movie's about. It's a drama trying to soften the blow of um, the – even Diane Feinstein, I think, was the one who ordered the report back in the day. Uh, the, the so-called torture report, as they called it, it was a 500-page uh, report on their techniques in waterboarding. Right, Eric? If you recall, uh, I don't. I don't remember who it was offhand. Right. So here's a guy. His first film that he's doing um, is a CIA film. You know, this is um, a guy like Matt Damon, who he's friends with. Who he he wrote the Bourne movies also. Uh, Scott Burns. Hmm. So their expertise, oh. right? Am I wrong? Oh, okay. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. No, no, no. He wrote. He wrote the. Um, uh, Which, the by the way, did not follow the damn books. You know, they did right. only right. my. You know, minutely, and then it just went completely. Well, if you, if you look in the chapter, uh, Trisha Jenkins has in uh, CIA in Hollywood, you begin to see how even in my film, The Recruit, they begin to chip away at the CIA that they don't have complete control. In fact, the one scene that drives them the craziest is the scene that I wrote that remains in the film. That drove them. Yeah, she says in her book. And that scene is them kidnapping Colin Farrell, torturing him in a cell, torturing him in a cell as a recruit until he gives up 
the name of his instructor. And then the wall slides open and you see that it's a classroom the entire time. That mm. remains as a scene that I created out of my fat head. And that is still in the movie. And in her book, she documents how the CIA fought tooth and nail to get that scene out of the movie. And the producers just loved it too much <laughs> to take it out of the movie. So when I watch it, I go, oh, my God, it's the only thing left from my script is this scene, which is a good scene. But they, they, they apparently fought tooth and nail to get it out simply because it showed torture. They don't like to show torture. Somebody's asking about the UFO information coming out. Is it Project Bluebeam, which is getting us off track again? But uh, again, I don't know the name of it, but it's supposedly coming out heavily redacted. And Ratcliffe was the one who freed it, got it loose as uh, the DNI director um, at the end of the Trump administration. And it's supposedly everything about the recent things that you've been seeing about the uh, uh, jet fighters filming these different TikToks mm -hmm. everywhere and other information regarding the reality of UFOs. Interesting. So let, to close it out, can we talk about your um, co-creator and Oliver Stone and what's happened with him and the CIA and what he's advised you? Um, well, I know he's going to the Cannes Film Festival in July to um, have a screening of his, the Oswald documentary, which is all the stuff um, not just Oswald, it's all the stuff that's come out since the release of his film, with Jim DiEugenio mm. is a co-creator uh, on that with Oliver. And it is going to be screened. He's been boxed out around the world. They're trying to fight him on the release of this. Showtime turned him down. A lot of different streaming services in the United States turned him down. But Spike Lee uh, said that he will get a fair hearing because he's one of the judges, Spike Lee, and they're very close friends. So Spike mm. is guaranteed an audience at Cannes, the last thing I heard, in July, um, which is oh, wow. coming up. So this is going to be something to watch. I've been waiting for this documentary for for a year now. I gave him information I had on Oswald, which he already had, but um, I'm excited about that. Okay, and he he's talked to you about wiretaps and different things. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He, you know, he's used to it. I remember, you know, hearing guys on the phone when I was dealing with him and he just said, get over it. You can't just be obsessed with it. I was a little spooked, you know, but it, you know, it goes with the territory, I guess, you know, so we just started saying, I can hear you and, you know, different things. I had a guy come over from the phone company who removed eight wiretaps from my line. Um, you know, one of the uh, AT&T security guys came over and went to my basement, took off eight wiretaps that were down there. I had a military intelligence guy come in and pose as an AT&T guy. And they, it's funny because he gave me his card. And when AT&T showed up, um, the guy called the central office and he said, you'll never guess who was there. And the boss <laughs> said, oh, and he said the guy's name. And I said, yeah, that's the guy. So the next day, um, the guy said to me who this guy is, and he was coming to reinstall new wiretaps on my phone. And <laughs> the guy, the real guy came, you know, who was Latino, was a Dodger fan, like most of these guys who come to your house in Hollywood. Uh, this, the guy who came there had a like a, a buzz cut with mirrored sunglasses, but was wearing an AT&T uniform. It looked bizarre. And he went around. I wasn't even paying attention to him, but he went in the basement and futzed around whatever he did. But the real guy went down there and he said he removed eight burnt out wiretaps, old ones that had been on there for years. So uh, even paranoids have enemies, Eric.
Uh, what is it? I, um, I forgot the author, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Yeah. Heller? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't really think about that much. Oliver said that he never thinks about it. You know, I mean, look, the guy's over in Russia half the time. I mean, if they were going to take him out, they would take him out, you know. All right, somebody's asking your thoughts on Spike's movie, The Inside Man. Which one was that? The uh, one with Denzel Washington? or I guess. I, I forgot. I don't remember that, what that was. Spike seems <laughs> to sacrifice his own movies for the sake of political dogma. He throws a monkey wrench into his own films, which is kind of a shame. You know, in other words, he'll, he'll literally stop the gears of his movie to put in a political message, killing the movie itself. And it's, it's painful to watch, just from a filmmaker's point of view. You know what I mean? That he will sabotage his own movies because he cannot find a smooth way to get his political messages into the films. He will literally grind them to a halt and make you listen to his political dogma in the middle of a film, destroying his own art. And each film seems to be worse than the one before. So I, I haven't seen one of his films in a long time. Probably desperation because nobody's listening to him. Right. I, so he, I, keeps doing the, he keeps doubling down, doubling down. Oh, I'll yell louder. Down, doubling down. It, it's sad. It's really sad because there are subtle ways to do it. I mean, if you look at Snowden, the movie, how smooth of a, of a movie that is, the way Oliver does it, it's, you know, from beginning to end, you take a guy and you make him out to be a straight guy who gets sucked down a, into a maelstrom and you see a, a character evolve, which Spike Lee does. He just hits you over the head with a hammer and mugs you, you know. There's ways to do it, and he does not give a shit. Well, perfect. And we're at a hard out with an hour. This has been, I think, an, a good start. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. And we'll have to have to determine what the next one's going to be. I may put a poll on it. I don't know if we want to go straight into the CIA and just go CIA, 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 or if we want to jump and do something else and then come back. So I may be putting a poll out on unstructured.locals.com so everybody please go there check it out be looking out for the poll um, we sometimes release little snippets or small stories with mark on locals as well that are exclusive to locals and things like um brian jones death you worked with uh, vh1 behind the music it wasn't behind the music it was uh, no it was another series back VH1 in the day confidential that's right. And you had also one on Cheryl Crow and everybody dying around her. The curse of Cheryl <laughs> Crow. Yeah, it's sad. Very sad. So we, we have a, a lot of great things coming up. Please stick around. And I think everybody's going to enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. And if you would like even more content and community, please consider joining my locals at unstructured.locals.com. And you can always find out more about me and my shows and everything I do at erichunley.com. See you next time.